Welcome to the Matrix Care Podcast from the software leader for out-of-hospital and long-term care. Matrix Care is dedicated to sharing knowledge and empowering providers across the care continuum, including home-based and facility-based care organizations. Today we hear from Naveen Gupta, Senior Vice President of Home and Hospice Division for Matrix Care, and his special guest. Let's dive in. Welcome again to another episode of the Matrix Care Podcast. My name is Naveen Gupta. I am the Senior Vice President and Division Head for the Home and Hospice Division. Today, I am joined by a very special guest, Bobby Lolly. Now, before I introduce Bobby, I'd like to introduce his organization, HCAF, the Home Care Association of Florida. It's a trade association, and they represent the home care industry, and this includes certified and and private duty, founded in 1989, and they're dedicated to really serving Florida uh, in terms of the home care providers and the vendors as well. Um, HCAF does a number of things beyond just representation from from advocacy to education, information that enables the organizations to deliver high quality, really cost-effective services, and their mission is to be able to serve patients and clients in their homes. So Bobby, is the executive director. He has worked in the home care industry for over 20 years. His experience in home care, you know, as, as I've read, has ranged from, so he's obviously has clinical background from range from providing clinical care in small rural, rural communities to a regional director for a large national chain. Bobby, I, I feel that, I, that although we haven't met, uh, I do get all your emails. So in that sense, I feel I do know you. Welcome, Bobby. It's really great to have you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Naveen, for having me. That's great. So, Bobby, um, we will certainly be chatting about topics that are near and dear to agencies in Florida. Um, as, a, as a post-acute provider, um, you know, we've got a number of agencies, um, you know, in Florida itself. Um, and the number of topics that are important, EVV certainly is, is very important. Um, you know, it's it's, it's in different states has been pushed out, et cetera. We'll talk about Florida. COVID, obviously, front and center, uh, almost 537,000 cases in Florida, certainly very, very significant. But before we get into all of that, we'd love to get to know you. In recent podcasts, mm-hmm. we, we begin by chatting about our guest's origin story. Many of us who are in healthcare, senior care, have had those pivotal moments in our lives when we've, we've made a decision, yeah, this is, this is my calling. So, I'd love to hear about uh, how did you make your way into healthcare, and then more importantly, how did you get to HCAF? Well, Naveen, I, I think I probably have a pretty original origin story. Okay. Um, <laughs> so let me let me give you the short version. Um, I was born and raised in a very small rural uh, community slash town, not much of a town, um, but in that. When the uh, young guy like I was back in the 1970s, late 70s and early 80s, uh, it was either you're going into farming or you're going to work, in, work at the local paper mill where my dad spent 30 plus years before he retired. And so my dad kind of he realized that, you know, that wasn't either one of those choices was not to my liking. And he said, but there's a vocational school you know, over there. And, and he said, they have this new program and it's about computers. Mm. And, and he said, son, I think computers are going to be big. <laughs> and so I went to that vacation, that vocational school. I graduated in two years. I uh, did really well. 
but never worked a day uh, with computers. <laughs> okay. But what I did do throughout that two years, I worked at a Golden Corral restaurant and uh, I, in a fairly short period of time, a year or two, I became the uh, youngest owner operator of a Golden Corral franchise up to that point. I'm not so sure about now, but up to that point, I was the youngest one ever. Well, that's, that's fascinating, Bobby. I don't mean to interrupt you, but that's I had no idea. Go on. Yeah. Yes. So during that, those golden, golden corral years, my wife went to nursing school. Now she did all the things and I, I was her, you know, mannequin or, or, you know, faux patient for all of her (laughs) stuff. And when she graduated, she got a job working seven days on and seven days off. And she was making more money than me working 150 hours at that restaurant. <laughs> it doesn't take too bright of a guy to realize, I thought, I can do this. I, and so I did. I enrolled in nursing school, uh, graduated in the 1991 or two from a uh, at Asta State University. And most times any male nurse will tell you that you being a nurse and being a, a, a man, you're going to either go to ICU or ER. And so I chose ICU. I did uh, my tour of duty for several years in ICU. Eventually was doing some part-time or per diem visits for a home care agency. And honestly, Naveen, at that first visit, I thought, wow, this, this is where I'm going to put my nursing career. This is where I'm going to be. Um, and so for many years, I was a field nurse uh, supervisor. I, I usually say that if there's any job in home care, I have done it from, you know, bathing patients and, and, and all the way to a regional director for a large corporation. So. If it's in home care, I probably have done it. Uh, Bobby, you know, really, really fascinating. And, you know, your passion comes through. Uh, this is, you know, and it's, it's, it's a unique calling. Your experience leading up to this positions, you to really represent all of these agencies and providers who are ultimately delivering care, just as you were delivering care. And I was just reading up on your story a little bit. You know, you, you know you're delivering care to this old woman. And and really, you found your, your calling, as you said, you know, that this is this is what I really want to do. And you're just a breadth and depth of experience. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I hope that inspires, right? We we talk about shortage of of labor in, in, in healthcare, particularly home. And um, and uh, for and we've got a number of listeners, um, you know, that they can get just excited just hearing your story about, uh, you know, what's what happened in your career and how they could they can get involved. So thank you again for that. You're welcome. Let's, uh, let's Bobby, let's pivot to, to COVID a little bit. Obviously, there's a lot going on and we could we could talk a lot about it. But um, the two two aspects I'm going to touch upon, one of which is obviously there's been um, economic impact by far. Like there's been tremendous uh, economic impact. Um, you know, just I, I know I was listening to the NAC financial conference, Bill Dombey, he shared several statistics there, um, you know, almost 82 percent uh, report revenue reductions uh, with reductions between 15 and 20 percent uh, decrease in admissions. And since we provide, you know, we, we power a number of agencies, we've got data as well. And I've I've seen the data. I've seen when the, the admissions dropped, um, you know, the elective surgeries declined. 
uh, and then um, you know, and then it started popping back up again, and then I, I've seen it you know drop back down again. So you know, we're not we're not out of the uh, out of the woods quite yet. Certainly on the private duty side, we've seen material impact there as well, almost 15, 20 percent. Uh, certainly, the waivers have helped. Uh, there's a number of things, including you know PPEs, canceled visits, you know limiting our access to senior facilities, etc. Can you share with us what, what are Florida agencies now grappling with? We're, we're five or six months into this. A number of, number of issues have been resolved. There have been relief packages, et cetera. Certainly, hopefully, a second round of it. I'd love to get your view on, you know, from your perspective, you know, what do you see really being the major pain points now? Um, Naveen, you know, it's like every interaction, whether it's email, call, uh, webinar, it, it, it doesn't matter. It, any interaction, related to the daily life and operation of a home health agency has been impacted in some way by the COVID pandemic. Yes. I mean, it's, it, it is an absolute. If, if there's a problem or an issue, there, has, there is some tie-in to, to the pandemic and some of the fallouts or the difficulties. Um, nothing, I would stress, nothing in the home care you know, community has not been touched. Yes. And that sort of, all of those difficulties that COVID has br brought to, whether it's staffing or referrals or inter interactions with physicians, it has set up that dy dynamic that you alluded to and Bill spoke to, is that revenue is going down and costs are going up. Yes. And, and it's created a situation where COVID patients, it's like a, a, a agency wants that phone to ring no matter what, but when they get a COVID patient, the calculation goes in their mind immediately starts. That's going to be the cost associated to that is going to be either two or three times a normal visit. Yes. So, so it's, it's significant that in the sense that COVID has infected everything, everything about our, our, our home care delivery and the whole industry. Yeah, Bobby, you know, it, it is it is true, uh, you know, costs almost 10% up on, on average uh, for agencies. Um, and, uh, you know, they're still they're still navigating a, a lot of this. And there are some trends that are going to come out of this in terms of consolidation, in terms of diversification, in terms of narrowing of the referral networks. And I'll get your point of view a little bit later. Uh, but that's 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 really interesting, um, you know. That that agencies still uh, are are really feeling the pressures of that, and really that leads me to the next question around uh, advocacy efforts, right? So obviously, HCAF advocating on behalf of the providers in Florida, and uh, I do read your communication. Um, you know, we're vendor, uh, but you know, I, I think there are we are all interconnected in this ecosystem. Yes, we are. Um, so. Just curious, uh, there are a number of things in play from RCD um, to some other relief legislations that are ongoing, um, you know, for providers that are listening to this podcast and will have a chance to hear your voice. Uh, Bobby, what are some of the things that are up are front and center, number one, and number two, how, how can they, they continue to get involved? So I'd like to, if I could, Naveen, I'd break it down into three categories. Sure. Um, clearly, for Medicare providers, RCD is... For Florida and North Carolina, there, there can be nothing more important. It's just, it, it was the wrong decision for CMS to, to put that out or, or restart that. And 
it's it's just it's just the wrong thing. I I, mm-hmm. I, I spoke to Bill Dombey yesterday. Uh, he and I agree or or still feel very positive. We've had separate interactions with key people at CMS. Uh, they seem to get it. They seem to give us encouragement or you know sort of letting us you know know that yeah we 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 understand we're hearing it we feel the pain and 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 we'll do the right thing although waiting till the last minute which is one of the things points i stress that yes in this stressful time no decision is causing suffering on everybody you know it's angst and suffering so a, a decision sooner than later would be better when we think of Medicaid providers, you've already mentioned it, EBV is back on the radar in a big way. Florida is pushing hard for that to get back to the, you know, the, the sort of normal uh, rollout or flow of that. And so yes. for Medicaid providers, EBV. And I, I want to say again, one more, private pay, because that you mentioned it and, and that sounded great to me because they are the ones who are in my opinion, most less noticed or recognized for the difficulties that they are are undergoing. So any relief for that private pay sector would be a huge win and the right thing to do. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, You know, you've touched upon topics that we're tracking very closely, and I agree with you. I mean, in this climate to really push forward with RCD is... uh, you know, it's almost insensitive. I mean, you know, I, I think yeah. there's a lot more that could be said, but uh, appreciate appreciate your efforts around that and advocating uh, for for providers here. So, talking about you know personal care services, um, private duty, um, the issue of EVV. So, for our listeners, um, many of you are already aware. Certainly, this is part of the 21st Century Cures Act. Um, it was signed into law in 2016, and there were several dates put out that got extended. Um, so initially it was January 1st, 2019. It got pushed out to January 1st, 2020 for some states, including Florida. And then, you know, for many states, it got pushed out to 1st Jan 2021. And the whole idea being uh, to be able to, rec- uh, to record some key uh, information about the visit um, from the service performed, the individual who is receiving the service, the date of the service, where, where it was performed, the location, the individual or the caregiver who provides it at the time the service begins and ends. And the whole idea was being, you know, to reduce fraud, waste, and abuse of, of the Medicaid system. So, so far, so good. Good intentions involved there. For Florida, um, you know, there were two um, organizations selected, um, HHA Exchange and TELUS. So for managed Medicare, it was both TELUS and HHA. And for the FIFA service, it was it was TELUS. So so Bobby, where are we with this? I know uh, our, our teams are involved. We, we you, know, um, you know, folks join uh, the, the conferences, et cetera. The, the, you know, the rollout being smooth uh, or the lack of there, it would be an understatement. I know you've personally led town halls, teleconferences with providers and vendors and participated in town hall sessions with state selected EVV vendors to try and smooth things out. Where are we with this? Uh, you know, we, we still see, even within our provider network, there's still, there's still concerns there and, and things are not working. And I know there's some relief provided in terms of how they do billing. There's an aggregation, uh, you know, the, the ability to aggregate data, but there's also how to do billing and whether they have to go through these to HHA and TELUS in our case. So just curious to, you know, love to hear your perspective on, on how you're assessing the situation with EBV. Yes. Um... 
Yeah, those calls, those calls, town hall calls were, um, they, they were a, truly a rough and tumble kind of experience. I think things are better. It's better, as I say, better as they could be in the middle of a pandemic. Yes. Um, but many, and, and I would say maybe a, a significant number of providers have been able to operate, collect those data points that you mentioned, and to get them uh, sort of approved and most importantly reimbursed. But that's not everybody. And there's still a significant amount or number of, of providers who are struggling greatly. And primarily, the struggle is with third-party vendors who are collecting their data, yes. inter integrating with the two aggregators. And so any chance I have to, spe to speak to the state you know, or ACA, I, I always stress that if you, you want to help this rollout, then you need to, to focus on where it, this is getting stuck at or, or where the difficulties are coming. And because it is in that in integration. Yeah. And, and, and I, I hear feedback, the integration changes or there are limits said, um, you know, and I, I, the assessment is, is correct, Bobby, uh, you know, over the last 12, 18 months, certainly certainly seen improvements right mm -hmm. and uh, you know at the end of the day we want to reduce burdens on providers and you know that their ability to get paid their ability to send information uh, wherever we can remove that friction in the system and certainly you're advocating and doing that so uh, appreciate that um, thank you thank you Bobby on that I would add, I would add Naveen that that I believe in Florida we're going to need every single day uh, right up to the federal deadline of January 21 to get this sorted out. I mean, it, there's no, there's no reaching the finish line before that, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 I do agree with you, Bobby. I'd love you've been in the industry for for a really long time. Uh, I'd like to also talk a little bit about the future. And there's sort of two views that are are emerging, and I, and I don't necessarily think they're a contradiction. Um, but, but it's very interesting, one of which is um, within post-acute discharges, um, you know, from the, 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 the health systems, right, from hospitals, you know, between SNFs and home health, for example, that has significantly begun to, to, to change, right? So about the last quarter or two of the previous year, uh, there were more discharges to home health than, than skilled nursing. Now, SNFs have been hit particularly hard by COVID-19, and uh, we're, we're hearing more about the SNF diversion, which means, you know, higher acuity patients are being discharged to the home. Uh, so you've got that view, right? So obviously bullish on what we see patient flow to be happening, while at the same time, we have had almost 3.8% of home health agencies nationally um, full, basically they've, they've gone out of business. So this is almost between 400 to 500, right? So there is the PDGM pressures, the pandemic pressures, there's economic pressures. And so there are agencies declining. So uh, what in your assessment, right? How do you see the outlook of, of home health, home care? Yes, I, I, I if, if COVID, if the pandemic did anything, it, it probably shifted uh, in my mind, the um, the wisdom and the practicality of bringing patients back home. When I when I think of SNFs, I, I sort of also 
add in assisted living facilities and independent yes. living facilities. I, I, I sort of put them in that. And, I, and my heart goes out to that sector. I, I talked to the, the uh, executive directors or CEOs of the trade associations here in Florida, and I would not want to be living in their shoes now. Um, but the home health sector has benefited from that, uh, from that vulnerability of all those seniors being together. Yes. And like I, and like I said, hospitals, it was always home, going home was always, you know, the largest, you know, choice or the best choice and one that most people took. But what is, what intrigues me even more is that, that, and I, and I have a good example in Jacksonville, two of the largest hospital systems uh, reached out to a handful of, of home care providers and said, we want to do a diversion, meaning hmm. that we, when, when someone calls a Medicare Advantage plan or an insurance plan and says, hey, I've got these symptoms, we want to route that, we'll triage it, and if they have to go to the hospital, we'll bring them to the hospital. But if we can triage them and direct them to home health for a home care nurse to go out and, and evaluate this and put things in place and keep them from going in the hospital, that's a huge win. Wow. And, yeah. And so it, it was so strong that those Medicare Advantage companies or insurance companies called ACA, the state regulatory, and said, hey, we need home health nurses to be able to carry these small canisters of oxygen in their car to patients and quick as it could be, that was approved and allowed and it's made a huge difference in that, that system. It's a great example, Bobby. You know, we, we um, you know, absolutely subscribe, you know, home is where the hub is going to be. Care yes. is going to be delivered to the home. Patient population are going to be in a focused, you know, as, as the home. So yes, I, I definitely, definitely see that. Although there are some short-term challenges, as you would agree, um, that agencies have to navigate and really hope that they can, uh, you know, find, find ways to be able to do that because um, the need will continue to grow and uh, we need all of these agencies and we need all of these clinicians and nurses to be able to provide that care. So, Bobby, my final question for you, and I did not know this when I was thinking through it, uh, did not realize you had a tech background and so I'm going to put yeah. you on the spot a little bit. So we're in the innovation business. You absolutely have a front row seat um, as you work with a lot of providers, technology companies, if you were to just step back based on the discussions and conversations you have with a number of people, what, what, what are some of the innovations that you see coming downstream? Where do you see that, uh, hey, you know, technology can really be used to improve the patient experience, drive outcome, better outcomes? Uh, does anything really come to mind to say, you know, I'd love to see, I've seen, I've, I've been in the front lines, I've seen these challenges. Uh, I, I, I now represent all of these providers in Florida. I do talk to a number of them and, you know, here's what I am, here's what I am sensing and here's what I'd like to see happen. You know, it's, um, the, the best way to answer it is telehealth and, and the waivers and the uh, extensions or the, you know, what was put out there to try to make things easier and then what happened in our industry when they were given just that little bit of wiggle room. And, and so perfect example to me is a nurse goes out 
uh, receives a referral, goes out, has a smartphone, and then that face-to-face, -face, that nurse now can just take that smartphone, connect with the, the physician or nurse practitioner or PA through that smartphone and can have a face-to-face, -face, you know, recorded and documented. Yes. And, and, and I'm, it's just that real world taking the technology that you already had, they gave us a little room and then something really easy or something that's made really much, much easier. That, that's to me, it, it, sort of, it sort of hints at what can be done if we're willing and the te technology is there. Bobby, that's a great point. You know, I think not only this face-to-face, -face, you know, getting physician signatures, using the tools that are ubiquitous, it's available already. Uh, how, do, how do we really enable that? Um, and, you know, I, I love the word frictionless because it's got to be easy. It's got to be easy for the, for the frontline workers uh, to be able to use uh, and really get out, get, get in, in one sense, technology solves a number of problems, yet, yet it gets out of the way so that they can really deliver care because that's what their, their passion is. So, Certainly appreciate that 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 perspective and and, and it resonates. So, Bobby, uh, I know we're wrapping up. Uh, I'd love to just give you the last last minute or so. Anything else you want to share uh, to to the audience? Obviously, we um, you're aware Matrix Care. Uh, we are in out of hospital post acute, so we have um, you know we've got SNF providers, IL, AL, CCRCs, private duty hospice, home health. So we've got. Uh, a very large footprint uh, in the out-of-hospital space, and we've got folks that, that listen in and dial in. They're just curious, anything that you want to share? You know, I'd like to just, you know, I, I, I've made promise to myself because the, the, the pandemic had brought something crystal clear to me is that, and, and this issue, is that the, the pay-per-visit sort of met, um, methodology of yes. compensating caregivers and clinicians I think it's it's run its course. I mean, we have used this, used it, and it it served us well for a long, long time. But I I hope that we can start thinking uh, about some different way or a, or a better way uh, to compensate caregivers. And I'll give you one quick example. Yes. When when, when COVID first came out, all the elective sur sur surgeries were stopped, and many home health agencies had to let go the vast majority of their staff because that staff was per diem and there were no visits there to do. There was no footwork to give them. And so then just a couple minutes, I mean, months later, we have this spike in Florida. And then there's this enormous amount of referrals and work coming from hospitals out and they look around and they have no nurses because those nurses went somewhere else. So, so that really just brought it to my attention that, that we might need to be thinking of a better way. Bobby, this, this resonates with me. You know, I am in Florida. Uh, my aunt, she is a per diem nurse in home health. And, um, you know, she, she got sick. And, um, you know, in many cases when the downturn happened, uh, what you just described, you know, perfectly, perfectly resonates. And then just looking at different models to be able to, really take care of these frontline caregivers, whether they're in personal care services, home health, hospice. Um, it's a very insightful comment that you made, Bobby. Thank you again for, for not only just advocating for providers, but really for uh, really the heroes. And those are the clinicians um, and other workers in the, in the home care space. So thank you again, Bobby, for joining us. This oh. has been a you know, tremendous pleasure here. Thank, thank you, Nevin. That concludes today's episode brought to you by Matrix Care. 
We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to visit us at matrixcare.com for more information on our solutions and services. Please subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and leave a review if you enjoyed this episode or have other topics you'd like to hear discussed. You can follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook to hear more from Matrix Care. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.